Hi, and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, David Bentham, Director of Sales Development at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Redefining Outbound. Um, Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by um, Liam Bartholomew, um, my colleague um, and uh, um, the VP of um, uh, marketing here at Cognizant, global marketing here at Cognizant. Um, Liam, so good to have you on. Yeah, really happy to be with you. This is a this is different, hey. <laughs> Usually, we're just talking like meetings and stuff about really, you know, not interesting stuff. But now, 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 I get to hear your thoughts finally. Now you can be finally honestly. Honest <laughs> yeah. with this is where I'm. This is where I'm seriously frank. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. It's perfect. And I think another unique thing about today is we've had um, we've had some people um, that have come on the show that are kind of marketing kind of sit under marketing but still a very sales focused but you um are incredibly uh, marketing focused so um I, I think like um well, i'm really hopeful that we'll get some really unique uh, perspectives um from you um today the main kind of talking point as always uh, when you get a, a sales and a marketer in the room is all about sales and marketing alignment um but um to kick off we always start every uh podcast with the same question um, so I'm going to ask you as well. Um, so Liam, what does redefining outbound mean to you? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and I suppose I'll probably be from like a slightly different perspective um, than other guests who are maybe more like being more sales focused. Um, but to me, I think the old, like the the core part of outbound, which is um, you know, going out and reaching your ICP where they're at. I mean, that will that will never change. Um, it's just the medium that you go about and do it um, uh, that will. Um, so to me, redefining outbound is about using what we know works and what is like, you know, which is human connection, talking to people, um, reaching people at the right time. But now thinking about how we do it, maybe outside of, crowded email inboxes or you know utilizing uh other talk like other ways of reaching people um even though old school like the phone but just in a in a better way um so yeah i think that's it awesome love that and speaking of redefining um the marketing team at cognizant redefined in 2022 how they were marketing um, moving from kind of more of uh, the kind of lead gen uh, tactic to demand gen. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that shift and, and kind of like how it all came about? Yeah, I mean, it goes actually back to, I suppose, what I was just um, like saying there. It's like about uh, how you kind of reach your, the buyer in the way that they want to be reached um, in like the modern day. Uh and uh, there's actually no- nothing necessarily wrong with like lead gen tactics in the past that like they definitely worked. Um, uh, you know, s- uh, Salesforce built its a business off of, um, you know, that a predictable outbound model. And then HubSpot built theirs off the back of this like gating content, 
uh, with lead gen and then following it up. Um, but each time the world changes, like the way that you reach buyers and how they like interact with brands changed as well. Um, so we, we noticed, and there's like a, a trend that if you're, when we're, we're running this sort of HubSpot old, old school model, that like kind of like hybrid combined with Salesforce, which is what everyone's kind of doing. Um, and we noticed that the, when we're running a lead gen model, that actually the number of leads that, um, of like content leads from like content downloads from gated content, um, the actual conversion rate from a lead to close one is like 0.2%. Uh, whereas if we looked at those that come directly inbound to us, um, through like the demo form that actually sits at like four to 5%. So like the difference um, from their leads to close one is massive. So then the thought process behind it was, well, we're already generating like 2000 content leads a month. Um, at that percentage conversion rate, how many are we going to have to convert to hit the next, you know, round, like revenue target? It, it, it becomes almost unscalable, um, unsustainable. Uh, and when the real uh, influencing factor behind whether someone actually goes from lead to close one is intent, um, with thinking, how can we create more of these like demo requests that actually have intent behind them? Um, and then that's what like caused us to to make that switch. And and then the best way, obviously, to get people to come inbound is you don't want to be uh, gating your content anymore. You want to be giving everything up for free so people can actually learn about you to be able to come inbound. Um, but I suppose that's just the beginning of the story because then the rest of it was basically trying to figure out how to do it in itself, which was, um, which was actually the hard bit. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, it's been, um, it's been a phenomenal shift. And I think, um, yeah, certainly internally, I think, you know, we, we all know how successful it's been. Um, just from a sales perspective, um, and for all the sales, uh, or I suppose some, some marketers as well, um, I'm interested in what, it, what impact the shift had, had on kind of the workflow associated with sales from you to sales um yeah what what changed in that respect i think actually the biggest thing and you'll be able to like completely attest to this is uh it's the number of touch points you actually have for sales like massively um like decreases like you know, there's less points where you actually there are potential points of friction because you don't have to be completely aligned on it to work and actually what sales will always want and what marketing will always want will be completely different uh, or will sometimes be different, even though the outcome will be what they want is if, if you're both targeted on revenue anyway, should be the same. Um, so previously, if you're running, now we're running like an inbound, uh, like just demo play and people, when an inbound demo comes in, if you're both targeted on revenue, then marketing will need to pick, you up, pick that demo up because we paid for it uh, and we've worked hard to try and get it to come in. But sales should want to pick it up because that should be gold dust, you know, that someone's saying, I want to see the product that should be uh, money in the money in the bank or like much easier money in the bank. And now that's like the main, the main conversation is improving that process, making that even better. And we can be completely aligned because we know where it ends up when we're running, like when you're running like a content lead gen play and like all webinar attendees or registrants or however you do it, one of a leads, uh, and you know, um, like all your eBooks, uh, leads as well. Well, all of a sudden there's, there's loads of like now discussion points. It's a 
obviously sales don't want to, they've, they've got, lim- you've got a limited amount of time. You only want to follow up on what are the very best leads. And that means that if you can't score by intent because they've only downloaded an ebook or a webinar, we've got to find some way of grading that intent and showing that there's intent behind that, that lead, um, which takes a huge amount of work. And that's where people lose so much time on grading and scoring models versus trying to say which ebook download is a better lead for sales than another, which is, is extremely hard to ver- like verify and you, and you basically can't. Um, so then that causes friction. Uh, then the volume of leads as well, like marketing might be thinking it's doing great scaling up, but if sales can't hack it or handle it because of their resource issues, then there's going to be, that, that's going to cause friction. Obviously sales don't want to be booking in rubbish meetings as well, like people who just take a meeting, but then don't convert because then that, takes up time and takes away potentially from better meetings like inbounces, all of those friction points that then just completely go because you're no longer focused, you're, you're, you're focused on one uh, type of like um, the best type of meeting that you can possibly get and bring in. Um, and then there's also the fact that in marketing, you kind of want to be influencing your entire ICP top to bottom the whole way um, from the user up to the decision maker. Um, but when you're gathering leads for sales, obviously it's no use for sales to be speaking to users. Um, so then you actually end up limiting some of your marketing as well. Uh, but then, but it's, but you have to come to an agreement on stuff like that because of, you know, you don't want to be wasting sales times with, uh, you know, in our case, like maybe a demo from like a marketing exec or an SDR who actually has no authority to go and purchase it. So I think all of those things just get pushed aside. And there are no longer points of like contention or even talking, uh, which just like means that we can all just be like, okay, that's our pipeline number. That's our revenue number. How are we going to get there based on bringing in inbounds? Um, and how can we make that better? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the ulti- it was the ultimate kind of move in alignment, right? Because um, I think, um, as you said, the, there's always this, there was always this conflict when it came to the, to the leads because you'd have... Um, you know, uh, uh, we'd go to events and like students would be walking around the events or they might turn up to webinars and then there's still kind of an expectation to still follow up with the leads regardless because maybe they'll graduate and get a job in sales. Who knows, right? Uh, and um, and yeah, but that's obviously, you know, those kind of window shoppers were, were never very good. And I think that was always really reflective in those close rates for those that, that content versus... Um, versus the the direct demo request yeah, um, yeah so now you've got sales desperate for every lead that you're creating um as opposed to kind of like mm, like when it's from that content don't really want it right mm-hmm. um so yeah no i think it was a, a a fantastic shift and it's really great to hear that um we have to speak less which is you know also um, that is a joke um, but, <laughs> so um um, so yeah, the next question is just around the ease because I think there might be there might be or hopefully lots of marketers that are considering something else or perhaps salespeople that have just heard how um, you know how great the alignment has been and what may perhaps want to, to speak to their marketing team about moving to more of a demand gen model. Um, yeah, how was that changed? Like, and also, um, what was like were marketing and sales did you have to kind of get buy-in like how how did that that work in terms of championing it um across the organization yeah i think uh well we i think the 
best thing to do it is to do it slowly. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff on like LinkedIn or people would say about like this, which aren't on, on and off approach. Um, <clears throat> that's really not how it happened uh, at all for us. Like we were like very much geared up to with lead gem. We had M- MDRs in role who picked up uh, all inbound and content leads. Like um, we were like even set up with a, like a structure for it. Um, so we got the original sort of buy-in we got from um, James CEO is like a testing budget to try and increase the number of inbounds we get, which means that we don't change any of the structure. We're still running the lead gen. And after we were able to prove that that was a success by showing this 47% increase in inbounds over uh, the three months that we ran that test with that budget, we could then start to think about moving to that and putting some more budget into it. Um, and doing it prop and like doing it really well and properly, but we still kept the lead gen running, um, and that was because if we just turned off the lead gen, uh, then it would have been one we had to redefine what that MDR role was, uh, and if they'd say, oh, we still have this inbound team that takes in inbounds, but we had to have to enough inbounds for that for that to work. Um, so obviously, after a while, we decided as you know, like to then route all of the um, content leads that then across the SDRs and not have this like very specific MDR role when we were focusing less on the content leads and creating more inbounds. And then I think it was actually by virtue of process that then we ended up getting to the point where I think actually really it was like sales that turned around to us and said, all right, just turn the content leads off. We, you know, we don't, we don't need them anymore. Um, they're not, they're not actually the best meetings that we can put, we can do better from outbound um, and doing that really well and intelligently. And we were generating enough inbounds that we didn't need the content leads either to hit our pipeline and revenue target. So it was kind of like a phased approach. And then that actually meant that we, you know, both the sales and marketing team came to like an e- like a equal agreement that like, yeah, this strategy works rather than it being like, oh, by the way, we're not giving you any more leads. Um, good luck, uh, which obviously just would have caused like a massive problem. And and out of interest, because I've actually been asked this question by other people, how are you handling things like webinars today? Ones where like traditionally there is still a sign up process in order to get it. I know you you mentioned ungating your content, but there's, there's obviously certain situations where content is still kind of gated, um, like webinars. How, how are those handled today? So the webinars like we'll just have, we'll still like because if people want to actually attend it live obviously we need their email address and stuff to be able to do that so we just keep the form extremely light for just exactly what we need so it's just ask for the name and email address so we can actually tell them when the webinar is send them a calendar invite and then after that uh there's no follow-up there's none and that that removes it like a whole point of um like like friction and and like and need to align there with sales as well like i remember uh, having like a webinar uh, and it running, <laughs> getting way too many people signed up for it, and then really annoying Pat at the time because it just, you know, rooted over a few thousand leads that then he had to deal with, and like all of that's that bit's gone, like uh, because now we just run the webinar for the content purposes and the engagement purpose, and then we can take the content that we've got in here and use it in all other forms of marketing. And at the same time, if we've got 
100 people on the webinar who are exactly who we want to speak to engaging with us then really that's the success of it um no one really signs up to a webinar wanting to be called afterwards um or uh sign up for a product afterwards that you know if anything that sometimes stops people signing up so we actually then slowly see like our engagement and attendance rates start to increase as people know they can just attend for value and um you know when they're ready they'll come speak to us perfect awesome um and Liam, I want you to put your sales hat uh, on here, which I know you love to do. I know that there's nothing more that you've ever wanted to do than um, get, you know, get on the phones, start dialing uh, your second, your true second calling. Um, this shift that you made from um, demand capture to uh, demand creation, I hope I'm, I'm getting those things right. Um, what do you think salespeople could take away from from that shift from what marketing has, has done yeah i think um i think realistically all like sales reps or like especially like SDRs, bdrs the um those uh, that are really trying to engage with their audience and get out there can can take that sort of demand creation side um and put it into the work that they do um so obviously as if i imagine myself as an SDR, if i was going to be uh, if I'm starting out fresh and that's what I'm going to do, there are two ways I can get my meetings. I can try and find people at the exact time that they're ready to buy, which is demand creation, that no, demand capture, sorry, which would be like, yeah, looking on like LinkedIn for people talking about wanting to buy a data provider, um, seeing people ask questions about it, like they're about to purchase, maybe using intent data, and that's like as demand capture, and I can get a certain number of probably meetings from that every month uh, because there's going to be a finite, a finite amount of people who are looking to purchase a product at any one time. But the rest of the bit is the demand creation side, whereas I'm creating demand for Cognizant uh, by doing the stuff, by like just every day by doing like general activities. So that might be, you know, building relationships with people that's a form of demand creation so whether that's you know just taking an interest in what like some of your target accounts are doing and speaking to them on linkedin regularly if they're posting asking them questions about their business just building like a completely no hassle relationship where they just start to actually like you for for like what you're contributing maybe speaking to them on the the phone, but without that immediate expectation to push them straight into a meeting as well. Uh, and then also creating and posting and sharing content uh, that's actually valuable to your audience as well. And doing that um, by any of the channels really that you you want to, but obviously like social is a great way of that expanding um, and like scaling quickly. Um, and then what will actually should happen if you're, SD, if my SDRing plan here, having never put it into practice, uh, <laughs> would work like marketing is that over time, all of your demand creation efforts will work because each month people will start coming through now with a need, now with like a change, and they'll think, oh, I've been speaking to Liam for ages, like, seems like a nice guy, like, like the content he puts out. And then you'll have your demand capture meetings you get plus those people that start coming towards you or even still if you're outbounding to them just way more willing and congenial to speak to you because you've already got that relationship there 
that's they I, I i feel like i've i literally thought about that just on the spot there but i'm actually really proud of it <laughs> um liam do you want a job as an <laughs> because that is phenomenal no I, I i really um i agree with everything you said i think i think for sdrs and salespeople in general um we're so focused on short-term targets often although you know they they are asked um you know sdrs especially are usually on monthly targets um a's um and salespeople mostly quarterly but sometimes monthly as well um so finding that balance between kind of your um short-term strategy and your long-term strategy is 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 incredibly difficult um and it really is a balance because you know there's there's that fine line between not pushing hard enough to get people in on time which is you know and and in month and as quickly as possible and, and capturing people um when they have that impulse um versus the um versus the the longer term thinking that you just mentioned where you're you can't you're kind of setting up that pipeline for yourself that will inevitably come back um and i, I like you know i think there's lots of stuff that you could do but a, a quick anecdote was um we had uh we had i did a demo with drift i think i was asked by like my cro um at the time the cro at the time to just just check it out um and at that stage i don't think we had much of a marketing function at all um so it's a little like uh premature for us as an organization to to take on drift uh, like a, a product like drift and um the salesperson from drift i was you know I was, I was an sdr manager like probably quite junior um but the um the sales guy there every single for the next year year and a half every single time i posted anything on linkedin at all he would like it within a minute it, and he, it was just like he's there like he just kept himself there and it was the most you know it was the, there wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't i didn't find it annoying or anything like that you know like i I, to be honest i appreciated the fact that if i posted anything i always got engagement i I was guaranteed it um and uh and then eventually i and i think that this these were roughly the timelines it's been a while now but i think then we we hired alice um and then i think um she went to a, a drift event or something like that and um and Bennett, uh, um, the guy that the I think that's his name, um, the sales guy. So shout out to to Bennett. Um, then called me up straight away and was like, "Hey, I think um, I think your new um, head of marketing came to this event. Can you just help me out here and like get me an introduction?" And just out of respect for his, you know, him just keeping me top of mind or, keep, or the, the opposite, um, I, I helped him out straight away. But I've never, ever experienced anything like it was such consistency over just lo- those touch points over the long term. And that was definitely a demand creation um, uh, process from a, from a salesperson, which was which was super, super impressive. And we're still Drift customers to this day. So there we go. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, so the one thing that you mentioned earlier um, was around, uh, you know, marketing having revenue targets. Um, not every marketing team has revenue targets. I, I don't know whether at previous companies you had um, straight revenue targets, um, but but can you tell us a little bit about that as as a shift um, for you and for the team, and but but also like why you think that's so important today in terms of the success of the t- the team. Yeah, um, I think actually all of this 
none of this could have happened without having revenue target. I think that's actually the, just the starting point. Um, and I think like it's essential for like alignment. And yeah, everywhere I worked before, I had like an MQL target um, and rather than a revenue target. And it just leads to the same behaviors over and over again. Like you create, you create, you hit your MQL target. That's your lead target. You pass it over to sales. Uh, then the sales like team maybe misses revenue target uh, and they say, well, the marketing leads are rubbish and will say, well, you didn't pick up half of them and they'll say, yeah, they're because they're rubbish. Uh, and so marketing's succeeded target and sales is getting the slack for um, for missing revenue target. But actually the whole model is just not aligned because there's no incentive for the marketing team to do anything for the sales team that's actually worth their time or, or, or going to help them hit that revenue target because that's not what they're, they're incentivized on. Um, so having that revenue target is kind of like key because instantly straight away, our target was the same as the sales team target, target was one revenue team. And therefore, like if sales aren't hitting target, neither are we. Um, and therefore, we've got to think about everything that we can possibly do to get there quicker, faster, better um, as well. Um, and then that just, that means that your your um, your efforts are completely aligned and the marketing you're doing is ultimately driving like the ultimate business result. So it actually makes your marketing more interesting, makes you more creative, makes you think about all of those things better. Um, and I think actually most importantly for marketers is when you're targeted on NQLs and you're not targeted on revenue, um, you don't have the same seat at the table that the sales team does because at the end of the day, the sales team is responsible for revenue and that's what matters most to the business. And if you're just harping on about MQLs that don't seem to do anything, no one's that interested. Uh, whereas if you've targeted revenue, you're proven to drive revenue, then you automatically have the same seat at the table, which means that from an alignment standpoint, you're actually sat at the same level, um, which I think makes a massive difference. Awesome, awesome. And how, how do you get the buy-in from the team? Because certainly I know kind of, uh, you know, obviously me being from the SDR world, uh, there's sometimes considerations made for SDRs just just being targeted on revenue as well. But the pushback is often, well, you know, how much control do they have over the actual closing of, of any um, meetings they create? So um, I'm sure that, that also is a problem uh, across marketing as well. would love to hear your thoughts on that from a, a team management standpoint. Yeah, um, that is hard as well. Like, and I think, every, you know, you can bring in an, like, you can bring in an inbound and it's like, well, after that, it's kind of like, it's not, you, you can say, the team could say like, well, it's got nothing to do with us, but I think actually it drives the right behavior. So it's like the inbound comes in and people don't forget about it, um, which also means that even under a demand generation model, if you had just focused on MQLs, what you would end up doing you, you still the inbound was all that mattered what you'd end up doing is just inflating that number um and you can still do that you'd just be like targeting everyone uh, uh you'd be like running google ads campaigns that capture as much and some of the wonkiest weirdest demand possible um and yeah you'd inflate that number and again the same alignment issues would happen um but i actually think what it does is it it gives people like the team purpose sense and then they can see that come in and they can think yeah okay it's not within my control then how well that deal is handled or how well that meeting's picked up but what i can control is like that 
I'm giving the team like the very best uh, um, meetings to come in possible and that the content that we continue to push out and this community that we start to create actually helps the sales rep throughout the process as well. So I think it's also like a, a little bit of a false fallacy to say that, oh, you know, marketing, we only control it once it comes in there. Like a good marketer, a good marketing team should be like helping that funnel end to end. Um, and some of the best feedback we get is when the sales reps pick up the the call and they get compliments on the marketing or compliments on the, um, on yeah, on like the content we put out because then that that's kind of fit in this objective that we have, which is just to make sales easier, like make the whole process back to front easier just from the marketing that we, we put out. So I think it's like how you frame the conversation really. Um, because it, I think it's very like, it's quite myopic just to like, look at it as like, a, oh, we, we only bring the lead in. And, and then after that, we've got, we've got no influence. I think we have a lot of influence. It's just hard to, it's maybe less direct. Um, so we can, we can still affect it. Awesome. And um, I've, I've lost my train of thought, but I had a question on um, the timing. That's So would you, you know, was the timing of um, the movement to a revenue target at Cognizant important? Like was, was um, for example, if you were to go into a brand new startup, you know, they're just building their, they're getting kind of their first 10 employees and one of them's a marketer. Would you expect that? Do you still think it's a positive thing if those, those individuals are on, on that revenue target? Um, or do you, and again, you work for a massive company before this, right? So, you know, like would, would it be advisable in your mind from your experience to put, put them on revenue targets? Um, so does the size and the maturity of the organization matter? I think it's probably easier to do from that, outset it's like then you're that's how you're setting up your system to go and i think that's so i think at cognizant when i started there was um cro at the time nasma just put us straight on a revenue target you know she was very much for the like you know it being a revenue team and i think at the time i was a bit like probably the same concerns that i would have like said that some people could say now like about oh infancy. i probably had all those concerns because i was like wow well, I've, I've never done this before like <laughs> how am i actually gonna and a, a lot of companies even struggle with um end-to-end -end attribution of being able to show that anything's related to marketing anyway um so i think right at the beginning as soon as you can get it like as soon as you're setting up that that's what you want to to start with i think actually as soon as you become a bigger organization it gets harder like it might be might start being really hard to prove what is marketing attributed revenue anyway um and especially if it's like a you've got long sales cycles lots of influence um it's like it could become it's you know maybe just having like we're very quick to just be like inbound marketing but actually maybe it's harder than that because maybe in other companies, like maybe you're you do a hell of a lot of marketing, but actually a lot of your big meetings and 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 deals come through reps still that who have been building relationships on the side as well. So I don't know. I think the sooner you can start, the better. Everything after that means you're doing a lot of unpicking to figure it out. Awesome. Um, we spoke a lot about kind of sales and marketing alignment and the 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 big strategies. Is there any anything else um, just before we wrap up here, like that you you you'd say to listeners in terms of like how that we, we haven't spoken about so far that where sales and marketing could be more aligned. Yeah. I think one of the, um, 
I think one of the things that like I would always say with sales, like with the teams anyway, um, and that I try and do as much as possible is like this is like over communication um, and talking, talk, trying to explain um, what the marketing team is doing to the same level that we explain it to each other or in the team. Um, because I think sometimes where we lack alignment is that actually uh, the marketing team doesn't really understand what the sales team is doing or the sales team doesn't really understand what the marketing team is doing. And therefore there's this kind of like this little bit of like maybe distrust or like, you know, it doesn't matter if like you say, well, I'm going to do this to influence a number or, or like influence a pipeline or something. Cause it's like, well, I don't really know what that does anyway. Um, so I definitely like that sort of over communication and actually that we should probably both be on the same level of like understanding how each function works. Um, and I think I get to talk from a bit of privilege, um, <clears throat> if I'm perfectly honest, from being at Cognizant because we create and write and build so much sales content that it's been like a free education academy for me <laughs> for understanding like sales and like and uh, like business development and all of that. Um, and I think it does actually work the other way as well. I think a lot of the sales team end up reading a lot of the marketing content um, and maybe in other companies they wouldn't, but I think that level of sharing is just really important. Um, last, um, I think last podcast that we uh, certainly I did, um, was with Will Aldred and he's uh, from Lavender and he spoke about kind of like, um, content creation, um, you know, the, the whole like kind of influencer marketing trend that's coming up. Um, and I know that this is obviously something where we've embraced at Cognizant. Um, and, um, yeah, would just love to hear your kind of overall thoughts, um, like how I've seen companies where almost their sales team are forced to write, like every single one of their um, sales team is forced to write a generic LinkedIn post when there's or like share like a certain product release and, and things like that. But I really don't think we have that approach here. Or we don't have that approach. Um, so we'd love to, to hear some of your overarching um, advice and, and thoughts on, on uh, this up and coming trend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I actually think it's kind of interesting that like, the, like Lavender's model, right, is that they have basically an army of content creators and influencers that go out and they're, they're actually almost doing like, almost like a like an extension of the marketing team, but to, and with Outbound involved, but it's like a big like drawing in function as well as it is like they can come in and Outbound through that that way as well and I do think that there will be over time potentially a shift in in like the average SDR profile and how much they like can they they're capable want and to and give to like this influencing and um content creation as well um and I still think I don't think there's going to be a prescriptive way of doing it I still think it's going to be like there'll be that great flexibility that you get as being an SDR. They'll we'll have SDRs who like are really value led, who learn their top, their like their content inside out. Their the pain that their um that their like ICP feels and like create a lot of content around that. And then we're gonna have others who lean into this sort of edutainment and are just great at making funny content that keep people engaged and involved and I think I do think that will change and like 
I wonder whether it is this, it will become more of like, I think sometimes when you're creating content on like for anything on social, it's like, if it's really like forced or driven or it's like written for them, the whole thing flops. There has to be some sort of like, it has to be like self-led and like there has to be some authenticity in it. Um, but I wonder if it will become in my mind, like more of like a training playbook amongst all SDR teams and actually when hiring for SDRs and stuff, what they'll, will there'll be like a shift to like look for like content creating sort of like attributes look or... for whoever's got the most followers on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've all been of love on Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Get Davide into the SDR team. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I do wonder if that, that will change and that and all of that this sort of phenomenon will then take hold of that as well. Awesome. Um and and I think one thing that you've done really well as a team is is um kind of make the kind of influencer content creation quite repeatable and scalable um where other others might have uh, struggled to do that maybe they get kind of that, that like early impulse from from a, a team or a person um can you comment on that at all and, and kind of like what your your thought processes and, and tactics have been there yeah i mean we created like a that we use this like content framework and that was that we worked with um Todd Clauser and Abed Durrani on who both like do a lot of content creation and that kind of like feeds then all of the, it's like, it, it basically feeds all the content that we, that we put out um, and like gives us topics and themes and stuff that we can talk about regularly through these influencers uh, and through anyone who is, you know, wanting to regularly push out um, content. And it kind of gives you like a, certain points of view that give you like almost unlimited then ability to keep talking about the same topic but in different ways um uh and which makes it easier than feel like every time you're starting a post that you're like starting from scratch again um so that's sort of been like a bit of how we've we've tried it is build like a real structure around the content and i suppose actually um that's like a perfect example of where sales and marketing alignment could come together again because like those sort of content frameworks can explain and share with an SDR team. Um, and then they can use that to start doing their posting and follow like similar, similar talk tracks as well. And then the aim is that the whole, con- the whole mark, the whole of Cognizant is talking from the same hymn sheet. Um, everyone thinks that, Oh, look, they, they, you know, the whole of Cognizant thinks the same way. How awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Virgil culty, but business wise makes total sense. Um, um we've um usually these these kind of only go on for 25 to 30 minutes so i think um your one of your team is going to be very angry about how long this has already gone on for because they usually stick us that uh but there's just been so much value here that that you know i didn't definitely didn't want to um uh cut it early um to finish though i'd I'd like to ask kind of the final question on, on the list which is around what your predictions are now you've just mentioned one but yeah certainly in terms of sales and marketing alignment like what do you see over the next few years um like happening um to to further align um uh, teams yeah i i actually think if if the if the market if marketing teams move more and more to a demand generation model which i believe is is slowly happening then they'll become closer and closer um alignment between the sales and, and marketing teams and I would hope to think that then um, like some of the, the old school like uh, 
disputes between marketing and sales will be put to bed with these, with like uh, everyone taking up these sort of revenue goals. Um, and I think that 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 blur and that closeness between particularly marketing and like sales development will become tighter and tighter. So we already see like a lot of all bound teams you see in PLG, like the two have to work very closely together. And really, if those two functions are owning top of funnel and stuff, like I think that that they become closer and closer together and better, better aligned. And however that is set up in a company, um, it doesn't really matter because it should be just about how you service the the customer and that they're both of them are working together to do like the exact same goal. Um, so I suppose that's a prediction that they'll just get tighter and, and closer because and th- through doing all of the like maybe viewing it with the same lens of like how you actually um, reach the customer in a way that they want to be reached um, through like demand creation and demand capture tactics. Awesome. Well, I really hope so. Um, and uh, yeah, Liam, thank you so much. That's all the time that we have um, today. But thank you so much for, for all of your insights. They've been super valuable as, as ever. Um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, just on just on LinkedIn. I, I'm trying to obviously be an influencer as well. So as many followers as I can possibly get, please like send it to your dog, gran, aunt, all of it. <laughs> perfect, <laughs> perfect. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode.